0: everybody, it's Kat and Kathleen here and we have a couple things to talk to you about before the episode starts.
1: Yeah, if you've been on our social media, you will have seen that we've recently joined the B Gay Roll Dice Network, which is a podcast network for actual play podcasts made by LGBTQIA people.
0: Yeah, I am an asexual, non-binary friendo and uh, I've met some extremely wonderful people through this network. And for me...
1: Having at times been the only woman, let alone the only lesbian in gaming spaces, I'm excited to be part of a group of queer people doing this thing
0: we all love. If you like sort of Symphonies, there's going to be a ton of very positive representation that you're going to be able to find on our sister shows on the network and brother shows, sibling shows. So yeah, you will be hearing the Be Gay Roll
1: Dice stinger at the end of our episode and a little bit of an ad for someone else. Go check them out and enjoy. Have a good day. Take care.
0: And welcome to Cat's Cradle, the show within a show where we talk about game design and games and design. And designing games, yeah. And designing games. Thanks for the save, Kathleen. I don't know why I never prep intros for Cat's Cradle. Because we usually don't know we're doing Cat's Cradle until day of.
2: Yeah, they're kind of a, when we're not going to be doing a campaign. Oh, right.
0: But speaking
1: of design, that's kind of what we're talking about today from a slightly different angle. We're going to be talking about GMing. Mm -hmm. And specifically, I mean, we've got a lot of things to talk about GMing, but I wanted to ask some questions about session prep and encounter design and NPC prep because we have two people who have GMed Heroic Cord on the call with us today.
2: Hooray! I am uh, I am the interim GM when we do uh, Kirsten's training wheels. Kirsten,
0: the one whose training wheels they are.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were named after me.
0: <laughs> they, they were named in honor of you. Yes. <laughs> the titular Kirsten.
2: I am the the, the uh, yes the titular Kirsten. I was I was going uh, yeah. That's I don't know why I kept talking because you said exactly what needed to be said.
1: <laughs> Great. <laughs> so let's say you wanted to have your own training wheels. Where does this thing start where you're like, I want to run an RPG and I have to come
0: up with an idea for it? Um, I mean, that's not the easy part. The hardest part? at least for me, it's just like, what do I want the players to do?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes that's true. I'll have ideas in mind. I try not to like make a plot because then I'm like, I don't want to be like forcing players to do things, but I'll have things that I'm like, okay, I want to kind of have these things that they can interact with. But how do I get them to interact with them without either being too obvious or being a thumb, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Thumb, by the way, is a term that refers to an NPC who is entirely too powerful for the party. They're referred to as the GM's thumb because they're used to kind of reach down and squish pesky players. Ah.
2: (coughs) Gandalf. Well. Kind of. But not really. I guess that's a bad example.
0: Cut well, if, if you're running a D&D campaign and there's a character in your party who the GM is running who's like Gandalf, then yeah, actually. <laughs> I mean, like Dungeon
1: and Dragon has a couple of famous ones. The Dragonlance setting has Fizban and Forgotten Realms has Elminster. And like if your GM decides that they're going to roleplay one of those two, you might be in trouble.
0: You absolutely might be in trouble. And the temptation to strong arm players into doing what you want is
2: absolutely there. Oh, yes. Heaven knows. Or like trying to be like, hey, I want to give more hints. Yeah, for sure.
0: And one thing I'd like to bring up while we're kind of on the topic of getting the players to do what you want is recently I've been running Ryutama, which is a beautiful, wonderful, very sweet game. For the first session, I thought I would do a very basic combat for the party. So I went to the monster manual. I picked out one of the very few monsters that's of an appropriate level because it's not a combat-focused game. And it's an egg with arms and legs. It's <laughs> just a foot-tall egg with human arms and legs. It's a very good monster. I made the note of my GM notes, and I thought, I'm not going to be able to get them to fight this thing. They're not going <laughs> to fight this thing. And... I can make this as annoying as I want, and I can make this little thing do basically whatever. The party's not going to kill it. I can pretty much guarantee that. And lo and behold, my party, two of whom are present with me right now, absolutely refused to do violence to this horrible little egg monster.
2: We kind of did that thing like, if you ever had a, a dog as part of the family, and they pick, they're, pick up something and... They're not supposed to be holding it in their mouth. And you're like, no, no, drop it, drop it. That's kind of what we did. The, the, the egg monster tried to take our pie, even though it has no mouth. I don't know how, why it wanted the pie. Just did. But yeah, it was kind of like, we we kind of did it from that angle.
1: <laughs> so we ended up wrapping it in a big tarp, yeah. by the way. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Giving <laughs> it, it a yeah, slice of a pie, yeah, yeah. pie anyway. From-
0: <laughs> That's the part I'll never
1: forgive you guys for. <laughs> You all gave it a slice of pie. I wrapped it in a tarp and was going to just leave it in the tarp.
0: (laughs) But the first thing I always establish is what it is I want the players to do. So in the case of that Ryutama campaign, I wanted the players to start out with some traveling because that's kind of the key aspect of that game. And I wanted to show it off. And I wanted them to encounter a monster to have a simple fight. So that was step one. What actions do you want the players to do? Uh, Last time I ran Ryutama, there was carnival games. Mm -hmm. So that started with, I want the party to do carnival games. How can I convince them to do carnival games? And that's at least how my GM prep starts. How about yours, Kirsten?
2: Mine tends to start from sort of figuring out what is going on in the general area that they're going to be. And kind of, yeah, sort of the goal I want to lead them to. Uh, the little aside but reminds me of a sketch that I absolutely love that I saw. Um, this one actor who's in the sketch. Anyways, he's trying D&D for the first time. And he's excited. And he, the GM leads them into a tavern at the beginning of the session. And he's like, oh, and there's a, a strange wizard sitting in the corner by the fireplace, speaking to an orb. And the player kind of says, ooh, I sit on the other side of the room (laughs) and, like, spends the whole session not interacting with the wizard at all. And it it just kind of made me think of, like, how tricky it is to sometimes you'll have someone or some idea present and to, like, make it tantalizing but not, like, forced can be kind of, like, kind of tricky. So sometimes if it seems like it's just not going to happen, I've actually, um, actually the last KTW we ran with the art gallery opening the party caught on to some uh, nefarious events that were happening much quicker than I anticipated so there was actually sections that I just skipped they didn't interact with because hey they skipped it which is another possibility too sometimes uh, they do things that surprise you and kind of gotta like skip ahead or skip to another track yeah
0: my first step is figuring out what you want the party to do. Your first step is figuring out what's really going around on around the party, like the truth of what's happening in the situation. Is that what I'm hearing from you?
2: Yeah, I like to, for example, for the art gallery scene, uh, I'm not as detailed as we have a, a friend who's so detailed. He has pretty much every character sheet written up and everything. I, I definitely don't go that detailed, but I like God. to know kind of like in general who's there, what their purpose at the event was and if the party interacted with them how they would interact with the party
0: god somebody get dustin on this call somebody call him
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> just call him and scream at him till he opens audacity but <laughs> <laughs> so my gm notes are <laughs> actually pretty disgraceful um, <laughs> sorry sort of symphony's listeners my gm notes are a disgrace If I do it physically in my GM notebook, it's this cute little black covered notebook that I got from the museum and it's full of tabs that I almost never use except for the middle one, which is where the story is. And there's a paragraph of my opening. If I write it down physically, sometimes I write it at work in an email and send it to myself. (laughs) So every episode I have to try to remember where exactly I put my intro. And there's usually a couple bullet point notes about what I want the players to do, ways I've decided to motivate the players into doing this thing, and hastily scrolled down stat blocks for encounters. I don't usually stat up NPCs. If I anticipate them being important, I might give them a name. Mm-hmm.
2: I generally don't stat up NPCs super often either. Usually I'll have like a name or a slight description and, and that's about it. Like... For the guy who, like, spilt the vinegar on purpose and stuff, his description, like, I put, like, a big jerk. I didn't stat stat him. (laughs) I just was like, he's a big, snobby jerk. Yeah. Actually, for the Albatross Legion, I
0: skipped writing out notes about who they were. I just wrote their keys down. Ah.
2: I haven't approached it that way before, but that's really good. The keys are kind of, like the core part of a character. So that'd be a really good way to succinctly describe them.
0: Let's see if I can find those notes.
2: Sometimes mine are just written down on whatever paper or notebook happened to be near me at the time.
0: Kirsten.
1: I remember that Sila Gaius-Riche had
0: sloth as one of her key. Oh, yeah, here we go. Sloth, intellect, determination, duty, and stoicism. Hmm. Votha has gentleness, courage, artistry, affection, and mischief.
2: Mhm seems
0: very wolflike, yep, and Caldus has love, curiosity, affability, passion, and determination. very nice, yeah, and that also gave me an idea of how his and Marcus's relationship plays out because Marcus has affection, but Caldus has passion in his, like they're different people, yeah.
2: Yeah, because like I can kind of see how Marcus will care for and love people, but like Cultus, it seems to me like the kind of person that would be more um, show it more publicly, kind of thing, yeah. or like.
1: Well, Cultus is an effusive person, and if I were to come up with maybe twenty or thirty words to describe Marcus, effusive would not be one of them. No, no,
0: just not in no. his nature. But this was actually one of my first experiments with key. My GMing overlaps with testing. So when I come up with something, often I'm sitting down to my GM notes saying, what do I need to test? How do I get my players to interact with it? So in this case, making NPCs was a matter of, well, here's my new mechanic. Let's play with it.
2: Interesting. Yeah, again, that's another thing that I haven't approached. Since I'm not testing the game from a creator's standpoint, I haven't really factored the mechanics into the same way. That's very interesting because, yeah, you have kind of like two hats you have to pay attention to when you're GMing.
0: I got some hats. That is for darn sure. So I don't typically do a ton of prep because I'm a
2: monster. And for me, I find I can prep things, but then it'll like totally shift and then improv some things in there to kind of, you know, lead it in the way that that it should go. Also, sometimes I find I might have ideas and goals, but... Sometimes the players come up with something that I'm like, you know what? That's what they want to do. And that's what's fun for them. Yeah, I might have had this other goal in mind, but no, let's explore this kind of thing. Yeah,
0: that's a good, cool thing that I would like to dial in on actually. Because (laughs) like the first part of my process is how do I get the players to do? Well, the second step is how do I get the players to do X? So in our last Mm -hmm. Rutama game, the party encountered a little girl who really, really wanted the carnival prizes. And she was rich and she would pay us for them. And she was rich and she would pay you for them. Mm -hmm. And because I wanted wanted to do carnival games, I wanted to play around a little bit with stat rolls. And that was very nice. Yeah. And the reason the egg took the pie is because two of my party members in that campaign are established lovers of creature comforts. Mm-hmm. Mm. People who carry around a portable bathtub for their campsite. And a chair. <laughs> and a chair. Even though Ryutama is very much a game about roughing it. So I'm like, if I mess with their pie, mm-hmm. if I mess with their comforts, that's the closest I'm going to get to getting them to fight this egg. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. It's like, you're coming for my comfort. That's dear to me. <laughs>
0: yeah. The count is Countless even though it was Tissa's arc, I was also firing some shots across Cobb's bow with the treasure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I had a clearer idea of what Cobb wants than what Tissa wants back in arc three.
1: Yeah. And then what also ended up being a hit that maybe you weren't expecting was having like defending the kids as an aspect Yep, for Cobb.
2: Yeah, co- Cobb's... um. He has a, like a soft spot for interacting with children. And yeah, and that
0: came out of that arc and was delightful. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like um, Cobb with his young protege, Mr. Sot, is mm-hmm. always a delight to me now.
2: <laughs> I'm so glad Sot joined us. So that's a pair of pieces
0: of GM advice that are very closely linked is the first one is bait your players using things you know they want. Mm-hmm. So person's training Wheels is always going to be different from Sword of Symphony because the dirtbags and the cast of the Westbreaker want different things. Oh, yes. They're different people. The next thing is pay attention to the things that your characters like and respond to, and you can continue to use those. Mm-hmm. For example, now we know that Cobb has a soft spot for kids. That's something that we can use going forward.
2: Yeah, and um, I learned that the dirtbags, the very first arc... I didn't know them as well and I had some encounters made but I didn't know that they were going to be more they're more pranksters than <laughs> combatants.
1: Yes,
0: yeah. And uh, it's
2: like oh, okay, I can I can work with this. <laughs> they like to get up to hijinks.
0: Yeah. So a piece of GM advice I think I would offer, one that's really worked out for me for sort of symphonies is Start out with a fairly neutral, just a little dungeon delve. Mm -hmm. Start out with something straightforward and see what your players bite onto. Like I did Rise of the Barrel Green, which was just something mysterious is happening. Check it out. Mm -hmm. But I got to observe two of the characters quite closely in terms of their motivations. We learned that Tissa is motivated by the capital P plot, by a sense that there's something she needs to be doing. And Cobb Mm -hmm. is motivated by treasure. Yeah, so if you run like a nice neutral little something as mysterious as happening, check it out. Your players will start showing their true colors and going forward, you can then cater to those true colors. Like um, the dirt bags introducing a damsel in distress for May was mm-hmm. <laughs> extremely inspired. <laughs> was that on purpose, by the way? Was that like you looking at May and being like, May won't be able to resist this?
2: Um, no, actually it wasn't intentional. I clued into it probably later than I should have, but uh, I wanted there to be a novice in the art gallery. And I am glad that it worked out that, uh, that MAPE, um, you know, took the point because I like how that built up. I wish I could say that I had done it all intentionally right from the get-go, but...
1: But I suppose that that's one of the things about tabletop role-playing games is that no matter how well you prepare, there will be things that will happen that you do not expect. And that's sort of the joy of the medium for me a little bit is that it's this collaborative thing that everybody gets to create a little bit.
0: Yeah. The real work of art is at the center of the Venn diagram. Like it's not what you're bringing to the table. It's not what your players are bringing to the table. It's how those two things interact.
2: Oh, yes. That's the sweet spot where it feels wonderful.
0: I had such a good time with Miller declaring himself a detective. Fuck. <laughs> that was great.
2: Uh, I, I did have the, like the burrito bonding thing at the art gallery because I was like, I, I, I love, <laughs> I love that. So another thing, a, a little um, side point for like things kind of going different than you expect in the first arc of KTW, It was the second episode and they were following some leads uh, because I had a like a hideout that um, they were going to be finding. And I wasn't doing a great job at kind of being clear as to exactly how I wanted them to follow it. And it kind of turned into a little bit longer of a exploration than I kind of anticipated, which I would say if that happens to you as a GM, don't get discouraged. Some sessions will you'll be, oh, wow, we, the players went and they wanted to do this, this and this and this. And some sessions, it'll be like, oh, okay, they, all of us are kind of working to try to figure out exactly where we want to go. And since it was sort of a little bit more of a mystery, I didn't want to try to give too much away, because I wanted it to be like, explorative, but I also didn't want to make it too, um, you know, I wanted it to be enough clues that they felt successful solving, but not too easy kind of thing. So it was a little bit tricky to find that balance, but don't get discouraged if a session turns out um, a little bit quieter than you expected.
1: Rather, I guess that kind of brings up the, bringing it back to like planning specifically, rather than sort of reacting in the moment, everything changes a bunch, but there's some things like uh, encounters, fights, where... You have that idea and you are trying to pied piper your players their way over to the thing that you wanted them to do. How do you go about doing encounter design?
0: Oh, this is shameful. And this is, uh, hey audience, audience, I need you to, this is just between me and Kathleen. So audience (laughs) and Kirsten, I need you all to take your headphones off, please. Okay. Thank you. I wing combat so hard. (laughs) Excellent. <laughs> like, if I've got a curse and I heard you giggle.
2: No, yeah, I know. I, 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 I'm still here. <laughs> like, um,
0: I write down an amount of HP, and if the clock is saying that we should be wrapping up, like, I'll ding that down. <laughs> like, if the party does too much damage, I will bump it back up. I won't say anything about it. I think that this is pretty
1: standard from other GMs that I've talked to also, because we're not. Playing a war game most of the time when we're playing TTRPGs anymore, or at least the sorts of games that I play aren't war games. And so like having a specific number of hit points to end the encounter isn't always like a great idea from a flow perspective, because what you want to actually do is give everybody an opportunity to spend some time in that Venn diagram, everyone coming up with interesting ways to fight the creature and to keep each other safe and stay alive and have some excitement. And you have to be able to ratchet up or ratchet down the tension depending on how it flows for the story. So that makes a lot of sense to me.
2: And um, yeah, I'll admit I tend to wing combat as well in that when the dirtbags came to the hideout and they approached the house, I had this um, whole idea planned with the person in the disguise and things like that. And then they ended up doing that like trick trapping them in the hall closet there. And I was like, well, all right. <laughs> and you know what? I did get a little bit waylaid by that. But to counterbalance that a bit, I tweaked the second person a little bit Just to kind of balance it out because I was worried that it might be like just the one person might be like a little bit too easy. So I Mm kind of tweaked that a little bit um, to make it still like interesting and playable. (laughs) I didn't expect it to become a one person combat. I guess for me, I plan encounters by kind of just thinking what the characters would want out of the encounter and um, a general idea of how difficult the encounter should be. Mm. So
1: very much like sort of continuing on this general character-based sort of design strategy you've been talking about. It's about motivation and
0: like, yeah. I think in general, yeah. Whereas I'm actually very much Mm time-focused. Some GMs are not, Mm -hmm. but I am. That
2: that would be me. I know (laughs) I tend to go...
0: Over time, quite a bit. <laughs> but um, I'm very, very time focused. So I trust that the challenge is there because by now I know that I'm taking that. Like everyone in Heroic Court has 10 HP. So I know what a massive swing is. Mm-hmm. Like I, I have a real good handle on how much damage a person can take because it's always going to be roughly the same amount. But the opponent's HP, that's your clock. Mm hmm. That's what dictates how long the fight is going to take. So that's the single thing I fuss with the most. That makes sense. Yeah, to me, it's not necessarily about how difficult it is because that's easy. It's about how much uh, how much air on the podcast a combat takes.
2: Mm-hmm. And that is true. I guess an episode is generally around an hour. It has to have a you know a flow, and we ha- it has to be kind of watched, mindful of like making sure it has a good. Structure for that hour.
1: Yeah, and I would even argue that that's true, Kat, of your like not being recorded style of GMing. Like thinking about that encounter in Ryutama, uh, I attempted to attack the egg, I missed. A couple of other people attempted to do things to the egg and missed. And eventually we finally hit it and it was over because we were kind of, and you've been structuring these Ryutama sessions around the fact that we're. Kind of getting together and playing for like 60 or 90 minutes. Yeah.
0: And that was that one we actually did have a time clock because one of our players had to leave right after. So,
1: right. And I would argue that that's probably pretty true for a lot of RPG groups is like, hey, we're getting together on this particular evening or in the middle of the day on Saturday, and you have to coordinate everybody's schedules. And Nick and I talked for a long time in another cat's cradle about that general challenge. Ah, uh, yeah. So I would argue that it's actually a pretty kind move on your part as a GM to be pacing-focused.
2: Mm. <laughs> yeah. I do my best. Um, I have a, a little thing I got to admit, and I, I don't know if you do this, this as well, but do you... Give because you're the GM, so you can slight little bonuses if people do something that's like really cool, and you're like, oh, it was like, remember when Miller shot the fries at the Archer? No, that was
0: um, that was Vi. That was Miller's oh, fries, right. but the yeah, spell yeah. fries both because
2: Miller had the fries. The right, spell right.
0: fries both is beneath me. I need you. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um. It was, there. There was actually like, uh, one point away, and then I like, and I was like, oh, but I, it's really good, and I really like. I I, I rewarded it because I was like, okay, and I sometimes I'll admit I, I do that if it's like something that's really ingenious or. Well,
0: that's the thing. It's the, like it served the scene to have Fry's bolt be the final blow.
2: Yeah, like that exactly. was way I was like, more this interesting. Would be a great.
0: So that was the correct choice.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Are you going to play, or rather, are you doing a war game or are you doing, like, scenes? Are you storytelling? Storytelling. And so exactly. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make sense to get tied up too hard in hard numbers in that case.
2: Mm -hmm. There is no right or wrong way of, of approaching things. But for me, this isn't how I approach it. But some people do get real enjoyment out of um, being able to really like look at the numbers and tweak their characters or their monsters and um, really play with that kind of thing. Um, but for me, that's never been my focus. Yeah, I tend to more like the role play or the story. Mm.
1: Yeah, or it could be kind of the idea that, like, the world is a simulation. You're all existing in it, and things work the way that they do because that's realistic or whatever, and you're going for immersion that way. And I can see how that you could get tied up in mechanics in that sense, too. And some people also, like, find that really rewarding. I know that in the couple of games that I have GM'd, my design has been very environment-focused, But at the same time, like, I've got that same storytelling bent as you do, I'm pretty sure. I like mechanics to serve the purpose of a scene.
0: Whereas, like, I'm actually less interested in the scene as I, I'm, I really like strategy. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. so I really like when players solve problems in unusual ways. Yeah. So I'm a little bit more, I think a little bit more mechanical Mm -hmm. If only because I just, I just love watching people solve puzzles. It's, It's totally, it's nice and fun.
1: And I think that mechanics can build a nice scaffold for having people solve the problems. Even if it's something that's just as simple as like, okay, I need three of this type of success. What's everybody doing to get me there? Gives like a good place for me when I'm playing the game to be like, okay, this is the kind of thing that this is doing in this scene.
2: And um, it feels really rewarding as a player, too, to use the mechanics in a unique way. Yeah, it's like the feeling of solving a puzzle.
0: So do we have any closing thoughts on GM prep, on getting ready to run, I mean, games in general, but I think Heroic Court in particular? Oh, here's something. Just please take a minute to think about what the environment is, because when your players ask for spell pieces, you're going to be so boned.
2: Oh, that happens to me all the time. I don't think I ever prepare spell pieces, and I really should.
0: I prepare spell pieces approximately half the time, and it's always the half that you guys don't ask. <sighs> all the times on the podcast I've looked like an unprepared jackass. Well, first of all, I am. But se- second of all, it's because cause y'all, uh, y'all rolled critical hits against me there.
2: I think my biggest takeaway – from running some sessions and being a new GM is that um, even if you feel like you're a novice, um, you haven't really run games before, don't worry because it's collaborative. You're all in this together. The players are going to want to work with you as well. So don't worry about, you know, if they, they ask you something that you're not sure about or you haven't thought of, it. that's fine. You're all working together to build a story. So just do it. Just the biggest play games i think is my biggest tip (laughs)
1: play
0: games play games us everyone yeah play games with us (laughs) (laughs) i can always count on you kathleen (laughs) i can always count on you ah thank you for joining us for cat's cradle everybody if you're curious about the game if you would like to take a stab at gming it you can find it at peachgardenrpgs.com and you can find us on Twitter at peachgardenrpgs. We would absolutely love to hear from you. It blows our minds every time it happens. Genuine delight.
2: And um, if you have any, uh, any focus you tend to focus on as a GM or any tips for people who are considering GMing, um, please reach out and let us know.
1: If you are a scion of the church of neo-Gygaxianism and everything must be a simulation and you have to have the work built out like clockwork and we've done everything wrong about GMing, let us know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Have a good night, everyone. Thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you for listening and joining. We love you all. Have a great night.